Well, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Narrowgate Podcast. I am Benjamin Hoover. I'm still the same person, have not changed. That might happen, who knows. And uh, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist out of Roseville, California. And I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to be a little bit off the cuff today. Um, I'm still going to work off of my writing, my notes, um, but I, uh, you're going to hear the sound of a mailman putting mail through the slot, probably, <laughs> um, which just happened right now as I record this. So uh, <laughs> the unique sounds that occur within this podcast. So uh, where was I? Oh, so I'm 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 not going to. I don't want to. St- stray or deviate from what I've written, but I'm, I'm, I am I get really locked in to my notes because I really want to share these thoughts. And I don't want to miss something. But I think in that, it sacrifices sometimes personality and, and um, you know, and, and can be a little bit maybe monotonous or not monotonous, I guess robotic and a little lifeless. So I'm just going to kind of bounce off of my notes and may not always be clear. Or may, I don't know. So, but this particular episode I've titled The God Who Weeps, and then in parentheses, fancy, Before He Heals. So, uh, so, or, you know, I guess you could title it as, as The God Who Weeps in the Healing Process, The God Who Feels With Us uh, as a part, as, as an integral part, vital part of healing. So, uh, I think here's, here's my, here's my little soapbox, um, pontificating little sermon, if you will, on, uh, on emotions, man, they are so important and they're so beautiful and they're so painful and they're so annoying and, and they're, they're, oh, they're so connected to, to our personhood. We can't. They're, they're inseparable. They're so necessary and so needed. And, um, and in order to heal, and I don't mean just like necessarily physical healing, although a lot of physical healing is connected also to emotional healing as well. Um, sometimes the, the pains and aches that we feel are very much connected to uh, emotions that we are not feeling, that are buried down, um, and our bodies are communicating Hey, you need to you know you need to attend to this, um, which is why emotions are then called feelings because they have a physical manifestation that uh, that signal this need to be attended to. So, um, so they're so valuable and they're so necessary. They're a reflection of 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 God and his nature and that he's an emotional God and that he cares deeply for that. And for whatever reason, and I think mostly because we've lived in this state of shame and hiddenness and judgment that we've, we like emotions have gotten a really bad rap, um, particularly anger, which I'm going to have an episode that probably multiple episodes that'll highlight anger because man, that is such an important emotion and when that gets avoided and pushed down, um, it causes a lot of issues, a lot of um, what maybe we could coin mental disorders. So, 
anyway, so so when that gets neglected, and 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 that happens oftentimes in our early childhood when our parents, you know, are in their wounded states, and they don't know how to deal with the, that emotional side to us as children because that hasn't been taught to them. Uh, you know, they may do things a little bit differently and make attempts to do something that maybe their parents uh, neglected or were harmful towards them, and they want to, you know, they want to um, choose a different path, but inevitably they still kind of maybe miss miss the mark, the, the, the target there, on how to care emotionally for us or for our emotional needs. <clears throat> we end up developing ways to try to get those emotional needs met. <clears throat> if we've... Um, uh, if we've grown up in families where there's severe abuse, uh, we will end up doing something called dissociating. And dissociating, uh, basically, in a sense, there's, there's something happens to our brain in the, the essentially the prefrontal co- cortex, uh, where the, the, which is the consciousness, the break center, the, the awareness center of our brain. Um, we, uh, that ends up getting shut off. And so our, we literally become disconnected from ourselves, our emotional selves. We don't even know what's going on. Um, and that can happen through various uh, intensity levels where the person feels out of their body, which is really fascinating. It's almost like they're spiritually, they're, they're looking down at themselves. They're, if, you've, if you've ever experienced that yourself or you've talked with someone who has, uh, they are literally floating outside of their bodies watching something happen. So there's this, there's this separation that happens, this, this, this chasm, this disconnect. And, uh, when there's such severe pain and helplessness and, uh, that, that God has wired into us this, um, beautiful defense mechanism to separate from that. But ultimately, uh, dissociating, uh, is not how we were meant to live in this continuous state. We were meant to live fully connected. So problems start happening that signal to us, okay, what's wrong? I need, uh, I need help. And which is where we do need people to actually help walk us through uh, this pain and travel into those emotional centers that we've been cut off from. Um, oftentimes, or I would say almost all the time, um, unwittingly, like instinctually, not something that we consciously have done, but something that our bodies have triggered uh, in order to deal with the um, helpless, intense terror and helpless pain. So, um, so, but the, the path is to become, is to reconnect, is to go back to that. And so, and so, um, so God has wired in us this, uh, this element I guess, if you will, like true personhood uh, is is to be fully connected. And that means even to the pain, um, both the joy, all the joys and excitements and pleasures and euphoric experiences, but also um, also the, the deep, deep pain and the, the despair at times, the anger, the, the, um, the hate. Uh, those are things that, that we actually need to connect to and feel in order to, um, I think, evolve more, to progressively move forward, uh, to, to become transformed. And I think even to become more and more like God, uh, you know, reflecting that divine love. I guess that's what I mean. People can get all up in arms of like God or whatever, or, you know, evolution, but, you know, 
Um, those are terminal. That's terminology I'm going to use, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. So, where am I going with this? Um, so, what I really wanted to kind of highlight was uh, this God in, that's written about in scriptures, um, who cares about our emotional self, our our hearts, uh, the the um, those feelings that we have. And so, um, and so because if, if life is about being fully connected, that when we're actually disconnected, when we, when we've pulled away, we're hidden in shame, uh, in judgment, um, you know, and, 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 and running, I don't want to say running away, but like pulling away from that stuff, uh, we're still going to seek out that trying trying to recapture that full connection. So, um, and so that, that's where addictions happen and, and, um, other behaviors that end up becoming harmful to our own selves or to others that were, that were so thirsty for that true connection. Um, and so we'll seek to satisfy it. But, but what I want to highlight is that true connection is, uh, happens with the presence of God and that he actually is with us there and wants to walk us through that. And that when we connect to our hearts, we simultaneously actually connect to him. Um, why? Because we're created in his image and he invites us into this, uh, in, into this relationship with him. And so, uh, and so we, we are called, we are drawn to connect to that, which we've pulled away from in ourselves. And uh, I was just actually, I was in um, Pomona visiting my sister and brother-in-law, my two frickin' beautiful nephews. And uh, I went to a chiropractor down there. And I love this chiropractor. I've only been once um, before. But the second time I went to him and I could just kind of, I just could kind of sit with him and just ask tons of questions because he's just, uh, is brilliant and knows a lot about the body. Anyway, so I went back because I needed to get these orthotics um, uh, pads because I walk really funny. Um, I pronate funny. Um, so it's the way I walk and it's the, my body's attempting to correct itself, um, in, in my, my gait, my walking style. And, uh, and he was talking about how, you know, once you, once you put these inputs, these insoles into your shoes, um, only do it for maybe an hour or two, couple hours at a time and then take them out. Cause, uh, because your body's really going to feel it. He says it's going to be really painful. And he said, and so expect that, you know, expect that to happen for that pain to be there. And I jokingly said, oh yeah, I know pain is, pain is a part of that healing process. And as I was thinking before I was starting to do this podcast, I wanted to, I wanted to emphasize that, that, um, you know, we, we don't want to feel pain, of course, because I think we were actually meant to live in full joy and pleasure and excitement, um, that, that even that euphoric state, I, I do. Um, uh, th- and, and maybe, yeah, I guess euphoric could be the term. Um, and that, but, and so we don't like feeling pain, but we don't realize that pain is a, not only is it a signal to, to attend to something, it's also a part of this healing process. And so when we're feeling, um, uh, pains that, that are connected to these, uh, these injuries in our relationships from the past or even present, it is very, very uh, agonizing. <clears throat> and yet, it is, uh, 
and yet we have to step into that. It's, it's, it's a part of growing and healing, but it's really messy and we pull away from it and then we go back and we pull away and we go into it more. Um, but that is a necessary part of becoming fully alive and fully connected. By the way, I'm going to be clearing my throat because I have issues. So, um, and it's hitting me at this particular time. So bear with me. Um, so anyway, without further ado, I wanted to go into, um, what I've titled the God who weeps before he heals. And so, uh, I was in one of my grad school classes one day and my professor was talking about this story, uh, that's in the book of John, which is in the Bible. And, uh, it's in chapter, contained in chapter 11. And it reveals, um, obviously it reveals this, this powerful, uh, attribute that that Christ displays this ability to bring someone forth from the dead, right? Um, and so you know you might be reading this and kind of rolling your eyes and and uh, thinking that this is a fairy tale, but but I I, I just I ask you to bear with me. I'm not highlighting the raising from the dead, which I do believe happens, and I believe that we can actually do that um, when we're attuned to God in that way. Um, however, it's not about this metaphysical act. Um, it's actually what comes before it. But what was interesting was that my professor had highlighted the, in the story that, well, I'll, I'll go into the story that, that essentially what happens is uh, um, Lazarus, who's the brother of these um, two sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, that he has died. And so Jesus becomes or gets informed of that. And so he travels to their place of residence. Um, and at first he's approached by Martha, who's, you know, tends to be more task-oriented and, and logical, you know, especially over the tra- tragedy. And and, uh, and that's kind of the way that she navigates life and operates in the world, right? Um, and, uh, you know, and so they have a dialogue and Jesus responds to her. And Martha leaves and then I think she gets Mary or Mary returns. And, uh, and, and, and Mary is just this emotional wreck. She's in this upheaval over the death and she even bargains with Jesus. Um, like if only you were here sooner, uh, you know, her brother would have been healed. Um, and, and so, and so she's demonstrative about it. She's in this raw place of, of that death. Um, if you've ever allowed yourself to experience that, it's, uh, it's, it's very intense, um, and, and it's, 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 can be scary and overwhelming. And so here she is displaying this to Jesus. And, um, and so, you know, and, 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 and then Jesus responds, but, but what's interesting is how he responds. So, you know, does he, does he tell her to calm down or that everything's going to be okay or to focus on the great things about Lazarus life, you know, which let's be honest, we've, we've done that to people, and we've done that to ourselves, or does he kind of quickly jump in and start praying for her, and let, let me pray for you, you know, or or maybe gives really encouraging sage advice about her pain, or, you know, or, or unwaveringly kind of rolls up his sleeves and tells, you know, and tells her to wipe those tears away, and, and, and instantly heals Lazarus from the dead, and, and um, you know, like, does he do those things? No. And yet somehow we do those things to ourselves, to others. Uh, no, actually what, what happens is that, is that Jesus ends up viscerally weeping. 
like gutterly weeping. It says twice, it says that he was moved. Um, he was moved uh, particularly by, by the, the emotion, the displayed emotion. And, he, and then it says once that he wept. Um, and, and this was all before he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And think about like when you've wept, when you felt that grief. I mean, what what is or or maybe not grief? It could be grief. It's usually associated with loss in some shape or form. But what is that feeling like? I mean, how does your body respond? It's this like guttural contraction of of sadness of loss. The body is doubling or bent over with the deepest heartfelt feeling of anguish. The, the, the foundation where we feel emotions, if you think emotions have a physical presence to it, they have a physical location as well, um, that this is often felt in the bowels, in the stomach area, in the, and, and, and it reflexively radiates throughout the body. So, so Jesus is feeling um, what the others are feeling, what Mary's feeling. And, out of, and, and so we call this compassion or empathy, out of this deep compassion he viscerally sobbed. He was moved. He was mirroring their pain. He could have reassured them, right? I mean, he was going to heal Lazarus, but 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 was that is that the greatest reassurance? No. Instead, like he he went into the pain with them. He performed the miraculous. So the question is then: is what what does this say about God? About our feelings? What does it teach us about responding to our own emotions? And, and, and the emotions of others. If we have a God who doesn't just perform miracle after miracle, but actually cares deeply about our heart and going in, into the healing chamber, into those chambers with us, wow, well, then, then maybe there's a strong message there of, of what we're called to do for ourselves and for others. And I think it's even wired in life naturally that we're going to start hitting walls that, that the way we've lived just stop working. Um, and that there's this restlessness, this anxiousness, and there's this calling back, calling back to our own hearts, calling back to Him. So I hope that doesn't sound too esoteric. But um, <clears throat> anyway, I'm going to try to get a little more concrete. So uh, so I... I, I I'm going to tell my own story, but I, I want to then connect this to the Beatitudes. <clears throat> so we have this story of Jesus weeping, right? In John chapter 11. Um, now, bear with me, because I'm linking this to the Beatitudes. And, I, and I'm calling this the Beatitudes, the, the, the mirroring the heart of the divine. Um, so the Beatitudes, is, is, it's in um, Matthew 5. And, and Jesus presents this, like, strange list. It's kind of an enigma, like, um, to, to his disciples, his followers, the ones he called to his side to travel with him, to teach him about life and true living and, and who he was, um, who, the, 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 the true love of God that's been distorted um, through legalism. And, and, um, and so, anyway, so, so the Beatitudes is this, it seems like it's this list, it's a, it's, and, and, you know, just listing off qualities of people that are blessed and in the kingdom, like, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the, the hung, the, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness, blessed are, you know, the, the peacemakers, all this stuff, right? It seems like kind of this, you know, just hodgepodge, um, just not, I don't want to say disorganized, but it doesn't seem like there's, 
anything linear about it, but it is. Um, it's actually this blueprint uh, and, and layout for, for living life fully and truly. And it's, this, uh, it's a key to understanding the process of becoming alive. Um, and it's, it's deeply, uh, becoming, I'm sorry, becoming deeply alive and connected and attuned to God. And so, um, but it also starts off really weird and, and it ends weird. It's almost like an anti-invitation. It's, you know, blessed, blessed, or, you know, the blessed are those who, you know, who are spiritually poor, who are, who are poor, right? Um, for theirs is the kingdom. That's a weird invitation essentially what it's saying is those that that are in god's presence are those that are that are bent over grieving experiencing loss that recognize that that um what they've clung to um in life uh what they what they've thought was meaningful what was giving them meaning um is not and and there's this there's this like um intense loss and grief and and so he says, blessed are those that are basically in this weeping, lost, emptying, emptying state. Like, what the hell? I mean, how is that an invitation to greater life, right? I mean, who, who starts that off or, or even ends it with persecution that blessed are those that, um, you know, blessed, blessed are those who are, who are persecuted for my name's sake or whatnot. And um, like, whoa, you know, who, who wants to jump on that train? You know, I think, you know, don't most parties, don't, don't we try to beckon others, you know, to, to, to join us, you know, with a promise of something pleasurable, but that's how God works in this upside down world. Um, and so, but, but then, but then I want to jump to something in the Beatitudes really quickly that something unique happens towards the end of the Beatitudes. So Jesus talks about at the end that about those who pour out mercy and peace and how they'll be blessed with the mercy and peace from God, right? But how is this kind of living, living out of this place of this outpouring of peace and mercy, how is that even possible if we haven't even experienced it internally? I mean, you have to think about like our, our, our human relationships just in general, they're like a mirror. They reflect what's within us and they influence or shape our internal world. Like if you think about it, notice that, that children will emulate what their parents do and how they act. You know, for example, a child wants to dress or cook like dad or mom. Or, or think about how maybe uh, a child reacts the way their parents do when they get upset. Like I was just down in Pomona with my, you know, um, this cute little two and a half year old nephew. And he just says these things. I don't know if sometimes he's conscious of it or not. Um, but he says these things and, and I'm stumped. And I'm looking at my sister and saying, how does he learn this? And then she'll say, well, I think it's because like, you know, um, her husband, Scott, and I will, will, you know, we say this or whatnot, like, <laughs> oh, that was it. It was, um, uh, she had said how one day my nephew, Roran, um, uh, I, um, said to Katie, I think called her pups and, or no, I'm sorry. He said, oh, who did he say it to? Anyway, I'm drawing a blank, but he said, he said to someone, he said, yeah, you know, pups, or Katie, <clears throat> he then clarified by, well, who's Pops? You know, Katie. <laughs> and, um, and, and they, you know, whoever he was saying that to, they were 
kind of inquisitive and curious as to who who is that or how did he how did he learn to say that? Well, it's because my brother-in-law calls my sister this term of endearment, pups, and uh, and so my my nephew just took that in and then reflected that. So so these children are learning life and learning about care and love and and how to navigate the world and see the world through mom and dad. Um, and their brains, which there's these little nuclei in the, the, the front part of our brains called mirror neurons, are taking in not only the behavior, but the intention and the motives threaded within it. You know, Or you can even look at yourself of, of the group you spend time with. You start to develop a similar language, perspective, interest, style, attitude, all of that. And then the more you connect with those in your life, the more your internal self is shaped by the one surrounding you. And this then gets poured out, that's influenced in your outward expression towards the world. And we can look at that through politics and culture and religion. So now I want to bring it back to this peace and mercy thing that Jesus is talking about at the end of Beatitudes. He says, if you think about it, if we reach a state where we're pouring this out to others or reflecting it, then something, something strange, um, something enigmatic must have happened in these intimate moments with God where His peace and mercy is being poured out and His presence begins to impact our internal world. And so, um, and so to an operate out of the state, we must first encounter it from something or someone that already holds it. Um, so there's this, it's this continual pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, pouring in to one another. Um, and uh, almost, almost kind of like how a stream pours off the rocks into other rocks and other rocks. Like that's, that's how we were created. That God is pouring his beautiful love into us, into our souls. And we're pouring that out into someone else. We're reflecting that, that divine love. And so, um, and so a child, you know, like really, if you think about it again, connecting back to a child, a child learns the language and expression of love by the way her parents speak and model it. So the way we learn to share love um, is not by reading about how others experienced it or how it happened to others thousands of years ago, which is important. I'm not saying it's not important. Um, or it's memorizing scripture or convincing ourselves that God loves us. The learning comes from experiencing it personally and deeply. And if you, and if you realize there's, there's always this calling happening in life, this tug emotionally, something has changed. We, we feel restless. We, we, things just aren't working out anymore. And it's, it's, that's, that's the signal. Um, there's a signal there. And that's something to pay attention to. And I believe it's something, I believe it's God drawing us into his presence to fill us up fully. Um, so, so how, so how the hell do we get to this place of a love overflow? Well, so what I mean by this, how, how do we get to this place where we're, where we're outpouring this peace and mercy? Um, well, this is where we go back to the Beatitudes. And, and this is where I'm connecting it to John chapter 11, so bear with me. So this is the anti-invite. Um, it's where things get messy and they get real. And so what is the, what's the beginning? What's the prerequisite? What's, the, what's the, the stepping stone to living? Well, you're not going to like this, but it's powerlessness, which you could just say like vulnerability, but I would say it's 
powerlessness, it's loss, it's mourning, it's the softening, which they, which Jesus says meekness. Um, and so we begin by opening ourselves up. This, it's an opening. We're no longer closed. We're no longer in this guarded place. Um, or I don't want to say we're no longer, but we're working through the guardedness. Um, that we're opening ourselves up to encountering reality. The pains, the wounds, the unfulfilled desires that we tried to we tried to nourish ourselves and unfortunately they didn't work out. The longings, the attachments we made, the, the false protective personality. Sometimes even seeing our relationships very differently, that, that what we thought was love was a distortion of it. It was a, it was a bent way of loving that, that you know, our parents are, are also um, these, these, these persons, these creatures that are filled with pain and wounding and, and, and then encountering our own hate towards them and, you know, and the grief of, of, of unmet needs and, and, you know, and relationships just not working out and our false protective personalities, our warped perceptions, like anything, like what we've held on to is the meaning of life. All of that gets in a, brought to the surface. Things start getting ruptured and punctured and, oh my God, what are we supposed to do with that? So there's this, it's fascinating when Jesus is talking about this progression that it starts off with loss, losing this emptying. Um, so courageously we're going into the terrifying, into the unknown world of our heart um, that we've been unconscious of, I think often blocked unwittingly. Uh, and there's this unraveling of the layers that have blocked the true vulnerable, authentic self of living in that childlike state. And so this mourning and loss, they're deep, they're bellowing groans of this painful transition away from what we've believed to be our actual selves. And it's, and, and it's giving way to the real, to what is actually there, what is true. It's, it's what we call a dying process. Um, and it mani- and mani- think about it, just the dying process in general it manifests in this powerlessness. We we can no longer try to cure what's in us. Like we, it's feeling lost and lost and directionless and empty and powerless. Right? Quite an invite, but it's a it's a bloody and bruising battle. It's feeling what we've never felt. It's facing what we've never faced. It's seeing what was obfuscated. It's an invitation to the deepest, richest, most vulnerable connection you've ever encountered. We're feeling and seeing everything we've turned away from. Sexuality, abuse, hatred, rage, murder, gender, painful longing, anything. Whatever we've turned away from or pushed away or stuffed down, we face boldly. So to become more connected to God means simultaneously we we become connected to ourselves. We move towards our hearts. Nothing is left unturned. We give up the ego and the false protection, and, ex- and, and, and into this exposure of everything that lives within us. Everything that lives within us is, is shared to Him. That's what I mean, is, is all this stuff that's coming up, you know, how do we connect with God? We're fully honest. We're unbridled. We're unfiltered in this, in this, this emptying process and sharing everything, feeling the anger, expressing the anger, feeling the sadness, all of that. Um, we, we, we let it all, we let, we, we let it all out. We bring it out into the light. We feel it. It's not just this talking. It's a, it's this viscerally moving into it, feeling what comes up. 
and 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 I believe even wrestling with God, fighting with God on this stuff, but turning to Him, not away. Wrestling with Him, saying, "I don't want to do this. I don't like this," um, and 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 yet and yet still turning to Him, still being fully vulnerable and and just just bearing their hearts before Him. That's what I mean. So. Um, so I think when we're kind of praying for things to be taken away and, you know, and, and thinking that certain, you know, emotions are, it's, it's their spirits. I just, I just don't, I don't agree with that. I think the reality is God wants us to feel deeply what we've never felt. And, uh, and that can only happen in a safe healing relationship. And I've talked about that in my past podcast about forgiveness. So we need safe, compassionate relationships to feel, which is what Jesus did. It's what he did when he wept with Mary it's, it, and the others who were weeping. It, he felt with them. And so God is feeling with us. And so, and that gets reflected, and, and God's divine love gets um revealed, reflected, mirrored when other people who have encountered that deep love feel with other people. They don't try to encourage or rush or the encouragement comes by feeling together, by being together, by normalizing and acknowledging what has, what has been, um, uh, I know this isn't a word, I don't think, but abnormalized, you know, and, and judged. So, um, so the Beatitudes marks this mysterious, and powerful journey of going through this emptying process, which then, if you think about it, then leads to hunger, because Jesus then says, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So now there's this emptying, and think about just in general, physically, when we don't have any food, our stomachs groan, signaling to us that we need nourishment. So, so this emptying of what we've used as nourishment, what, what, what we've seen, or, or maybe skewed perceptions of life, uh, all of that comes to the surface and we feel the, the grieving, the loss of that. And, um, and, it's, and, and, and then it leads to hunger, starving, this restlessness, this anxiousness, of, this helplessness. If I want something to change in life, I want, I want to live out something, but I don't know what. And it's followed by them being filled and satisfied. What what happens? This this filling of mercy and peace, this beautiful presence of love, <clears throat> fills us up. And so when we open ourselves up, and and then unbridledly pour everything out, we are actually emptying ourselves to become filled with something new, satisfying and life giving. So. Um, so, how does this all connect then? Right? Well, we see it in Jesus. Right? That he wept deeply and profoundly and gutturally. He had the greatest connection to the source of life. He had the, the opportunity to do the miraculous and supernatural, which he did, but he sobbed and grieved with others. He was moved by their pain and despair. It was the purest display of compassion. He felt what they felt. He, he gave permission for them to go into the pain together. He never shut it down. He instead instinctually opened himself up to the emotional heartache with them. So what does that tell us then about God, about this divine presence, this mystery, this source, that if Jesus reflected the heart of God, then it's safe to say that God feels with us in our pain and would never shut it down nor pull away. 
from our emotion, need, or desire. Instead, he invites us into it all. The anger, the rage, the murderous desires, the envy, the lust, the horniness, the sadness, excitement, joy, etc. He doesn't, he's not one that, um, the, he, that pushes away. And so the one that, that doesn't push away from the souls, that doesn't detach, that doesn't di- disconnect or split off from his or her own heart, but chooses instead to move into every present emotion, that, that stirring that happens within, is listening and honoring the deeper messages of the heart. Emotions are messages. And the messages are not some random biopsychological, neurochemical you know, signals, utterances, whatever to pay attention to. They're much more meaningful. I believe they connect us to something greater and something transcendent. And that emotions have been vilified, cauterized, feared, judged, numbed, pushed down, dismissed, devalued, you name it. But why? Think about it. Why? Why has that happened? Well, I think I wonder that if such reactions speak to emotions, the, the emotions inherent and transcendent and vital importance, the feeling through our emotions actually changes us. It moves us into greater beings, into greater connection and greater closeness with God. It generates aliveness and it shapes us into persons that pour out to others, impacting them with a profound love. That's amazing, right? That's a reframe on emotions. It isn't just feeling just because we need to feel. This is something even greater than that. I know that sounds mysterious. I know that sounds odd. But just think about it. Um, why, why, why have we pushed this down? Why are we numbing sometimes? Or Which I really think is kind of trying to attempt to nurture or self-soothe. Because something about that emotional self is so important that there's attempt, something, I don't know, I don't know what it is, to the attempts to detach us from that, to pull away from that connectedness, to pull away from the true connector of life. So I believe that God feels with us and, want, and, and invites us to feel what we need to feel, to grow in greater closeness with Him. And, and that when we experience that, we then can share that with others and feel with them as well. So I want to connect this back to my personal story. I think that's really important that I'm not just speaking philosophically about life or, um, you know, or, or I don't want to talk about this in a removed way, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is is what I'm seeing is very connected to personally what I've gone through. Um, And so for many of us, I think we struggle with a relationship with God, understanding God, even though it's in a way hard to understand Him. Um, You know, the way God has been portrayed, presented, modeled, I would say more than just, I think the way He's been modeled through others uh, reflected His... Um, through others has has been hurtful and at the same time there's been those that have walked in very healing loving ways because they've encountered God in loving healing ways so anyway so I want to bring this back to my personal story because I'm hoping that in some ways it brings um, 
a sense of, of normalcy to once to your struggle. If you're judging yourself, like what is going on with me? Am I heretical? And, uh, you know, and why am I wrestling with the way things have been conveyed or approached in church? Um, and, and, and maybe outside of church, I don't know, but, uh, the emotional realm has been so important to me and I've seen how much when I've connected to it, um, my relationship with God has changed and deepened very significantly, but I'll start off kind of a little bit in earlier times that I, I, often felt this deficit in my relationship with God. Um, I would characterize it as disconnected, detached, cerebral. Um, what I mean by that is kind of intellectual knowing. Yeah, 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 I get that. And, uh, and obligatory, like out of guilt, I'd feel like I need to spend time with you, with you. That would be my conversation with God. I, that I feel like I need to spend time with him. And often the, the impressions of that, uh, I would say came from, um, you know, the pe people, community significant in my life, family, churches, speakers, friends, small groups, etc. And I would just, my connections, connection time with God would be kind of these anxiously steeped prayers. Sometimes I would just kind of, when my head was hitting the pillow, I'd say some half-assed prayer and, you know, thanks God. And, uh, you know, just to try to feel relief because I felt guilty for not spending time with him and, you know, it was, the church would set up, I think, or inform us to do devotions or, or, you know, these kind of maybe carved out 30 to 60 minute dedicated times of reading something in scripture or maybe a guided journal or some book that somebody wrote and then ending the time with prayer, you know, and, and there would be, for me, this kind of belief around it that it would... Or maybe I think even it was expressed that way, that it would set the template or mood for the day and get my mind or thoughts on God. And really, I don't even know what that means. I never knew what that meant. And so, you know, when I'd approach the Bible, it'd be this cumbersome, you know, just overwhelming, daunting task of reading the textbook or reading it like a textbook and scrutinizing every detail and making sure I understood the historical context. And I mean, and that's important, you know, understanding the context, understanding the message and the meaning, uh, even though I think sometimes our interpretation of it uh, is um, more personal and subjective. So, uh, or I take a mystical approach, you know, just turn the page and whatever I land on and whatever I move my finger to, that's God speaking to me and that's my scripture for my life. And, uh, I don't know, I'm just laughing at how silly that sounds. Um, but, you know, and then also when I'd gather with prayer, for prayer with other people, and they'd want prayer, and, and, uh, I just, oh man, I would seize up with anxiety and discomfort, and, you know, I couldn't stand going through the litany and then sharing what I wanted prayer for, and I think what, what I wanted was more of a vulnerable experiencing together, processing together, and, uh, and, and, and yet, you know, I just found myself kind of discontent and, you know, I certainly, you know, would encounter myself publicly <laughs> meandering through conversation with God over for this person and, and detached emotionally. And, 
trying to articulate and sound intelligent and sound spiritual and you know but I would feel anxious and flooded with pummeling thoughts of how to pray and you know we were also kind of instructed to quote unquote give it to him or lay it down at the cross and and you know and I just I don't know what that I still don't entirely know what that means I kind of do now but um and and it was always kind of out of encouragement I don't want to um I don't want to uh, vilify that, uh, but but I just for myself it just didn't click for me. Or going through guided prayers, or sometimes it would almost kind of we'd coin emotional problems as, as spirits or whatnot, and and uh, you know I don't know maybe there's some component component to that, but I I, I don't have insight into that. But um, but I began to question these methods and approaches and. You know, the prayer requests, the guided prayers, the devotions, the promptings to lay down the cross just stirred up struggle with me. And I and I just, I criticized myself. I thought it was being blasphemous for recoiling at these spiritual tenets. Uh, but I was just really left with questions. Just this huge gap. You know, what was the point of all this? Why, why was I doing this? How come I was so pissed? at these approaches, you know, what am I, reco- my recoiling mean I was heretical? Yeah, probably. Um, but years ago I had this revelatory moment that I was in conversation with God and I wasn't really getting anywhere, meaning like I was just kind of like looping in my head and it was then being articulated through my thoughts and, and yet I was feeling so frustrated and stuck and, um, and I think angry and maybe, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know all that was going on, but but I was spending more time kind of intellectually trying to, um, you know, plead with God, you know, figure out that combination and, uh, you know, and get it right. And, you know, what's, what's the right combination? What's the right alignment of words that's going to get me the answers? It's going to get me to feel God. But, uh, but in this particular time, uh, you know, I, I, you know, there was this struggle of of this isn't this just isn't fun like I just don't enjoy praying you know this this just I don't know just kind of meaningless to me and uh and so you know and and yet I was I thought you know well I want to switch to expressing emotionally what's going on um I realized how much I was neglecting uh presently emotionally what what was what was stirring up in me but I was also afraid to let this out to bear this to God, um, afraid of being smitten by his quote-unquote righteous wrath. Um, but to my surprise, when I let this out, you know, um, what I feared didn't come true. And, uh, and I remember this time where I was, I worked at a golf course in, uh, during grad school and I was driving to the golf course and I was really angry at my dad and, and I was talking to God about, I'm just so angry, and I'm angry that if I let this out, that you're you're just um, you're gonna smite me. You're just gonna crush me. And but I said to hell with it. I'm just gonna let this out. And so I did. I just went into it like probably, you know, just tense and veins popping out, and could have even risked a hernia. But, um, but I did it, and I let out just how pissed and enraged I was, and, you know, a couple hours later, there was this kind of thought came up, which I would have to say is God, you know, kind of this internal voice saying, 
did I smite you? And I, <laughs> I laughed, and I said, no. I realized, no, he didn't. He didn't smite me. In fact, it was really important that I share this with him, and that I let, and I don't hide this, and I believe that he cares about it. And so my understanding of prayer and connection with God began to shift. And these powerful moments, uh, or it led to powerful moments of deeper, richer, vulnerable, more transformative experiences. You know, what I started to see uh, in this struggle with how things were orchestrated with others, how we navigated um, the emotional realm, uh, was really this deep cry for something genuine and raw and emotionally unfiltered in my relationship with God in life and expression to other people. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't push down these frustrations anymore, you know, um, you know, and, and over mantras that blocked me from living vulnerably and authentically. And so, you know, I, I, I realized that I needed to connect to what was rumbling in my heart. And, you know, and, and, and so I wonder, like, could this be the key to greater connection with God in life? So when uh, I would say within the last five years, there's been this drastic shift in my engagement with God. I've realized how much I was striving and heavily steeped in obligation and guilt and the compulsion to get myself right. And I'd spent an inordinate amount of time, amounts of time ruminating on what went wrong in the situation and what I could have done differently and hating myself and, um, and, and yet, and, and then trying to figure out the mystery and what, you know, what's happening, what's going on in my life, what, what's God doing? And, and I would just, it would all be contained in my head. And, uh, and yet I'd still end up in the same place, lost, discontent, disillusioned, hating myself. And I would avoid my emotions, the aches within, the desires, the longings, etc. And, and all, because all this would just fall under judgment. I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to go there. It seemed wrong. It just, it was this instinctual, reflexive reaction. But I no longer wanted to cling, you know, to the handrails of guided prayers and detached formulas. Um, I, I, I transitioned then into getting out of my head and pouring out of my heart. Um, that this meant that, that, uh, that uh, it was vital that I go into the emotion. That I don't just acknowledge it, but I actually go into it. I feel it. I allow its presence to be a part of me. Um, that it no longer was this kind of suffocating, contained inner dialogue. It became this externalized, outpouring expression of what stirred inside. And so, um, you know, and I felt the hunger for something authentic and, and honest and uncomfortable and paradoxical and mysterious and real. And I did, and I stepped into it. I encountered the uncomfortable, the tension-filled, conflictual, the disquieting struggle of making known what was inside me, both to myself and to God. I left nothing hidden. You know, so when I felt hatred or horny or shame or joy when I masturbate or masturbated or looked at porn or stay in, you know, I stay in conversation with God. I express to him my deepest desires, my sadness, my grief, my unfulfilled longing, my, my tears, my weeping over wanting a wife. You know, it was even a couple of weeks ago, I was in the shower and I was just crying. I realized just how much I want to be married. And 
And I, I've left none of that hidden. I've embraced wrestling with God in anger, even telling Him that I'm angry towards Him. Um, this, this, even this discomfort over feeling alone and seeing things differently from my church community. You know, um, I would even wrestle with Him in certain moments, contend with Him when He was asking me, inviting me to do something, to go into something. Uh, and I would just boldly express my struggle to him that I didn't want to do that. But this nudge would intensify, this invitation would get louder to um, step into that. And so, uh, and, um, and so the, the, I saw that the greatest healing for me began to take place in uncensored dialogue. As I began to commit to this way of connecting, things shifted, shame and self-hatred have greatly reduced um, and has been replaced by energetic hunger and aliveness. I've felt this great security between me and God. Like I have, I'm not nervous or anxious or thinking I have to get it right. Um, and, and, and when I feel anxiety or restlessness, uh, I realize it's communicating to me that I'm pulling away from my emotion. When I maybe start, I don't know, looking at music on the internet or watching something on TV or uh, like I feel this restlessness that I realize, okay, I'm not attending to something in myself and, uh, and I need to, uh, it's important that I do that. And so, and the, the more I, I don't, uh, the louder that anxiety becomes. And so, um, and so I've learned to, to press into that. Uh, and, and so, um, and I realized that I, I've, the way of becoming present has been to turn towards my emotion, to feel it robustly. I like that word, robustly and deeply. And what's fascinating is that there's been this wonderful byproduct, actually, of um, that has emerged uh, from stepping in my emotions, and that's actually becoming more creative. So that has been really exciting. Um, the writings, the new insights in life, uh, music, I've been recording a lot more, playing a lot more, enjoying what I've written, like actually enjoying what I've been playing. And, uh, and, and this, this has, this outpouring has stemmed from turning to connect, from, from becoming more connected, uh, to myself and to God. And it's shifted the, it's, it's shifted greatly the way I see the world. And so, um, so fascinating, exciting, thrilling, painful, uncomfortable stuff, all of it, both exist, both seem contradictory and yet they exist together. And, and so the, the really, I want to express that the core of this message is that God cares wholeheartedly for the emotional realm. Why? Because he's emotional because the emotions come from him and that they're given to us. We reflect this divine love and this divine presence. And, um, and so God pours out his emotions vulnerably. He talks about being jealous and angry and burning with, with anger and, and love and delight. And, oh my goodness, uh, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful stuff. You see Jesus flipping over tables and, you know, cracking whips and um, calling people out and getting angry. It's, it's oh, it's so good. And he's weeping with people. And, and I... I don't know. I don't know why some things weren't recorded, but you, I imagine Jesus laughed with people as well. Um, I don't know why that wasn't particularly um, recorded, but uh, there's a sense that that happened too. So, um, 
so he feels deeply with us, which is indicated in the story of Lazarus. He loves all of our being deeply because he carries within himself this deep love that he expressively enjoys pouring out. And I think when we accept and we care and we feel and travel into the emotional dimensions of ourself, this innate hunger surfaces to venture with people into their own pain, to, to have them experience a the life that we're experiencing. And it's this, it becomes this unrelenting ripple of healing love. And so, and so, ladies and, and gents, I, people that are listening, may you be blessed by this. May you um, really uh, begin to listen to that nudge to, to, to embrace the feeling, even feeling scared of it, even turning away from it. All of that is really a, a wonderful process of becoming. And, and living fully and presently. And may you accept that invitation to go into that place, to, to feel richly and robustly and deeply, um, that you may encounter God uh, down that path uh, and, and, and that He is feeling with us and, and cares so deeply, so, so deeply for what we feel. And, um, and may that... May that bring about life for you all. Until next time.